Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. And Josh Bichon. Today we're going to provide a weed update. Josh and I have been traveling around the country. Him more than I. I tag along every once in a while to kind of see what's going on out there. But Josh and I figured we would kind of bring to you some of the observations we've been seeing and and talk to you a little bit about the wheat tours coming up for OSU Extension. So with that, Josh, take it away. <laughs> um, rain makes grain, and without it, we're we are le- we're left with a lot of challenges. Um, but wheat has nine lives. Nine lives. I think most of us have hit that, uh, or if not, we're very close to it. Uh, driving around, uh, or I guess we can back step. Coming out of winter, we we're obviously in drought conditions. Uh, we didn't get a lot of fall pasture. We didn't get a lot of spring pasture. Most fields didn't tiller very well, and we kind of standing on short legs with very few root systems well developed. Makes pulling rye easier, though. It does make pulling rye easier. Mm-hmm. Um, even I was talking to one producer, he's had some stalkers out, and he's had a bunch of wheat plants in his stock tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cows are pulling it up and then rinsing their mouths out in the tank of water. At first, he thought the wind was blowing it because we've had nothing but wind, it seems like, this spring. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of comes back to, you see, seeding depth isn't necessarily what people tell you it yeah. was. And if you, th- you think you're putting it an inch and a half in the ground, but you pull up those plants and they might be a half inch or a quarter inch deep. And that all comes back to haunt you whenever it doesn't rain. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember even Dr. Edwards, a previous small grain specialist in the department head. Now he's at Arkansas, but he had a grad student, I think Dylan Butchie and someone else, they go around when people were sowing wheat they check their drills and they first ask them, how much do you think you're planting? How deep do you think you're planting? And they go and verify what they're actually doing. It was pretty surprising. We were either overestimating or underestimating about everything. Uh, but yeah, getting seed in the ground. I know a lot of guys dusted it in because we were waiting for rain there for a while. Uh, and that kind of brings us to some issues we're facing right now. If we had quick emergence, we got the seed down into the soil for some. Uh, we might have more issues with viruses right now. Uh, no overall diseases and pathogens have been very light, except for once we start hitting that third node and getting into boot stage, a lot of the wheat just stopped and went backwards these last couple weeks um basically a lot of those fields were confirmed that wheat streak mosaic virus is rampant throughout western oklahoma um obviously we've had a lot of issues with brown wheat mites that's not a vector it's wheat curl mite that's the main issue for the transmission of those viruses but uh we went out and looked at some fields that you know planted in september we tried to do our best to get rid of that green bridge even one farmer is no-till didn't have that green bridge, but let and behold, he had quite a bit of wheat streak mosaic virus. Uh, and it's very kind of hit you while you're down type thing where you see the neighbor's field just does just fine and yours is falling on its face more or less. And so we try to figure out what could have been done different, what we need to do in the change in the future. It sounded like some farmers were doing what they could. Uh, but like you said, having a healthy plant Going back to those basic agronomics, getting a good stand, uh, getting the seed down to depth, getting a good even emergence, get that root system developed, uh, we can handle a lot more stresses. The guys that dusted in, planted shallow, uh, we had that gap between the surface moisture and the subsoil moisture break too quick, and those roots never reached that. Uh, you look at research from other crops, roots don't go through dry soil to 
to find moisture. They grow through moist soil to find more water and more nutrients. So if we didn't ever bridge that gap between surface moisture or the soil versus the moisture further down deep, uh, we have pretty limited root structures, which led to more stressed wheat, which when we started seeing those brown wheat mites and aphids come in and drought linger with the relentless wind we've had this month, uh, just kept setting kind of one, two, three punches on our, our wheat crop. Yeah. So remind me again, wheat street mosaic is vectored by what pest? The wheat curl mite. Wheat curl mite. Uh, <clears throat> and they come in on the wind, right? Uh, as far as I can tell, they're usually worse in the southwest corner of the field. Um, we've seen some yield wandering or yield maps uh, from combines where you can definitely see that transition. Uh, so typically those fields that are to the west of you or to the south of you, uh, even if you did everything right in your field, you can still have that issue. Mm. Uh, but it can be on volunteer wheat, weeds, uh, grassy weeds, your bromes, uh, pretty much all of our weeds in our ditches uh, can be host for that wheat curl mite. And that kind of reminds me whenever we were dealing with, uh, you know, aphids and sorghum and things like that. You, know, you see, you think, why me a lot of times? And sometimes it's just where they fall, where they end up. It's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You put on your economist hat and you start thinking about, I've got a wheat field. It's over half yellow. You know, once it's infected with that virus, it's not going to make it to harvest more than likely. That plant's too weak. So then it becomes a salvage operation. You know, what am I going to do with it? And I would just suggest getting insurance adjusters out to see what they think it's going to be worth. The problem is now you've got wheat price that's so high yeah i mean even you think if it cost you 35 40 dollars an acre to hire that wheat cut worst case scenario and that, that would be a good crop so you could probably go down around 30 bush or 30 dollars an acre well at 10 dollar wheat which were higher than that in a lot of places but 10 dollar wheat that's three bushels yeah so it's almost in every situation unless it's just obviously a complete loss we're going to be running com combines across it to try to get some of that value back because if you you adjust it out at five bushels that's too much value on the table to not go ahead and go out there and harvest with the wheat price where it is currently and you mentioned you know the the custom rates for harvesters uh talking to another producer some of the quotes he's been getting it's going to be above just like everything else this year our inputs are going to be higher he's hearing 35 to 40 dollars breaker almost so yeah uh, that also goes in that equation like you said and whether or not it's going to be beneficial to get the comments across there i think one of the bigger issues we'll see coming this fall is that we harvest enough seed wheat mm -hmm. uh, certified seed wheat's going to be short supply farmer save seed they're picking which fields they're wanting to harvest right now and hopefully have something to fulfill those seed contracts this fall. Yeah, yeah. if you have storage on your farm and, and you typically buy your seed wheat, I'd try to take delivery of that as soon after harvest as possible because it may not be there come yeah. fall time. But that that's an interesting thing and it's getting a little bit off topic, but you talk about input costs and how things have changed. I've fielded a lot of questions this year about, well, how much should I go up on my custom rate because of the increase in cost? And I understand, and I'll be an unpopular person here, but I understand that fuel has gone up, but you have to be realistic about how much it's gone up. And if you're wanting to increase costs or your, your charge based on you know your increasing cost, you have to be incredibly uh, diligent in knowing exactly what your costs are. You ask a farmer how much is it, how many how many gallons of diesel does it take to plant a field, yeah. and usually they don't know that. And you know with heavy tillage operations, we've always used 
a gallon an acre right. as a rule of thumb. It doesn't mean it's right. I know I've been cultivating or vertical tilling or something, and I might be burning a quarter gallon per acre while I'm running across the field. It just depends on how hard it's pulling. So you can go different ways with that. If you're a custom operator, you can leave your rate the same and you can figure out your detailed costs that are more expensive. Now you got to think everything, parts, tires, fuel, oil, just anything you can think of that's that's well, an input is going up. I'd almost think and, that'd be a bigger factor uh, replacing that equipment with new equipment. Obviously, equipment prices are pretty high. Yeah. Like you said, maintenance and repairs, getting parts, parts availability, parts price, uh, those have all gone up as well. I'd say that'd be more of a factor than just fuel price. But Yeah, yeah depreciation's a big deal as well, like you said. And whenever you're thinking about that, either leave your price the same and you charge a surcharge because you intend to take the surcharge away. Or you increase your overall price, and let's be honest, it rarely ever goes back. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, as you're trying to make customers happy, I think we're going to see a blanket increase in cost. I think a lot of producers will take the idea that I'm going to take a little bit of a hit this year and raise my base rate, and I'm probably never going back down. And again, if you're going to if you're going to be charging a surcharge, it takes a lot more work to really figure out what those costs are. And you know, I've heard a lot of different percentages. I'm not going to say one today because I don't know that I believe any of them that I've heard. Um, <laughs> if you really like, if you're just looking at fuel, it's smaller than people actually believe in terms of the total cost. Because whenever you're you're charging for a custom rate, you know, fuel is a very small portion of that entire equation. You're covering wear and tear on your equipment. You're paying yourself a little bit of labor, hopefully, and you've got fuel in there and some various other expenses. You know, like I was talking to a producer today. He said, oh, I'm going to be planting beans for a guy and I'm also going to be putting on fertilizers like well you got to figure in the fact you're going to be hauling that fertilizer more than likely unless they're delivering it to the field is that fuel wear and tear on your truck and stuff like that how is that affecting you and then what if you got to I mean we like to get paid as quick as possible but if you have to buy the fertilizer and then charge it out to the individual well the interest on that incredibly expensive fertilizer is going to be something to concern her as well so yeah that's getting way off topic from our wheat talk but (laughs) I mean, it, I think it stands to reason that there's going to be a lot of people having those conversations and it's not just easy. You can't call the extension off and say, what should I increase my cost to? Because I think that's a foolish way to do it from an economist. Now, if you don't get me, you might get somebody else that, that can give you a, a more blanket answer. But but I'll sit there and ask you those questions yeah. and, and try to get to, you know, a number of a true surcharge that we can increase the price temporarily and then bring it back down. Another one we saw this spring is some guys up or increase their uh, custom rates for spraying. Um, we haven't had a lot of spraying. We've had some herbicides go out, and we're obviously at or past our f- flag leaf fungicide applications, but those are going to be down this year, I reckon. Uh, a lot of our products are limited supply. Some of our generic tebiconazoles that probably the biggest ones that go out. Uh, those prices have increased. Uh, some of the other products that we have are going to be kind of premium products that are more available. Those come at a premium price usually, but in the benefit you get usually more modes of action in that product and longer residuals out of them. But like I said earlier, we just haven't had the pressure from those. Uh, so this might be a year where if you have a good resistant variety uh, to leaf rust and stuff like that, uh, we might not need that protection of that flag leaf and we might forego that cost. Well, again, it's another two-edged sword again. Um, the wheat crop looks terrible. Mm-hmm. I've I've advised a lot of people, 
you know, it's sit and wait. If you don't raise a wheat crop, fungicide isn't going to make one because, yeah. you know, you were waiting on water. But if you're sitting there with a little bit of moisture and you think about what am I protecting, we on average think possibly 10% in our yield trials that we've done that, that we maintain by using a fungicide. 10% of a 30 bushel wheat crop is three bushels at $10 is 30 bucks. I mean, it pays like never before. Yeah. And, and we tended to think that it was worthwhile doing before that. With that all said, I haven't applied fungicide yet either. Because <laughs> again, when you got terrace tops turning brown and then the wheat's just physically dying, I mean, actually not using nine lives, it's dying. I can't see spending the extra money. But localized, we've had a few showers. So that's something to consider. Like you said, 10%, uh, that's kind of a good number that we've been using. If you look at the variety trial we do at Lahoma every year, uh, look at the past, I think, eight years or so, we average of those 40 or 50 or almost 60 varieties, a 20 bushel yield savings. Uh, so some of those varieties, we hardly see any yield difference, but some of them are pretty significant. And you probably average it out closer to that 10 to 15%. And like you said, today's prices that's going to cover the cost but uh, going back to the, some of the other inputs we've seen nitrogen has been uh, reduced this spring just because of prices of the, of the urea and the uan uh, we've had some calls earlier this spring more than i've ever had about streaking across the field uh, originally we thought those are you know misapplications from the spinner spreader not getting a full broadcast over there but some of the fields i did go back and check and it looks like it's going to be more of a virus issue like I talked about earlier where the field looks striped. You see that chlorosis, that chlorotic uh, strips of wheat. And then you have something more green and then more chlorotic all the way across the field. And I've almost come to the conclusion that we had healthier plants uh, where that combine went the year before. We had more residue, retained more soil moisture. That healthier plant was able to uh, reduce the impact of that uh drought and disease on it so some of it we thought was stripped from nitrogen but other fields we've seen no response from the enriched strip so that saves some guys some top dress dollars uh, but there are some instances where you go drive out there there are some fields that are obviously deficient on nitrogen as well yeah i just remember whenever osu was putting out the information about the mites i just kept thinking so what yeah. <laughs> as a producer you know i was like i'm not spending money on this deal and again, getting downtrodden and getting in the wrong state of mind can definitely cost you money because as a good manager, again, you have to look at every single decision objectively and think, what's the risk reward of spending some money on this crop? And it's, I think that's where a lot of people just were probably like me. They didn't want to yeah. spend the money. They let the mites go. And, and now we're in this situation where there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, once the virus is in that plant, there's no remedy. Yeah. That's probably just going to go. Uh, further behind than uh, getting any better. So when did you decide to make hay out of that crop? Because well, hay is going to be in short supply, I think, this year as well. It's already so. short in supply. Uh, we got a lot of guys that were looking at trying to get spring oats in, and obviously February wasn't very conducive to getting a spring crop of oats out there. But Or March or April or, you know. <laughs> anytime we're harvesting the grass, it's kind of those two curves. Do you want quality or tonnage? Uh, quality is going to peak at boot and tonnage is let it go out a little bit longer. But uh, for the most part, guys are going out to harvest what they can. You get out further in western Oklahoma where you're only at 10 to 12 inch tall wheat right now, it's going to be hard uh, to 
get a let alone a combine in there so there's probably looking at maybe harvesting a forage crop uh, some guys are going have already terminated that crop to go to a summer crop so we're banking on getting a good rain to get a summer crop up and going uh, get closer to north central oklahoma we already got some corn out and stuff like that and some beans and some grain sorghum uh, i was out in one field uh, didn't have any moisture top four inches but i took a probe that we kind of used to test how deep the soil moisture is and once i got through that top four inches that five foot probe went all the way to the ground so we had good profile underneath it we just need something to get that crop off and going yeah, and you think about chlorotic plants that are turning yellow there's probably not a lot of nutritional value in that crop either yeah i mean and you're just sitting there it's probably not going to make it through boot it might not head at all so if you're talking about you know heavily virused fields you, know, you might have to make some of those decisions based off of your gut instead of what you think might happen i guess i always assume guys buying wheat hay usually aren't too focused on quality obviously they should always care about quality on forage but most guys buying wheat hay are just buying it for roughage i would think well yeah and then the you know there's going to be an opportunity cost there there's going to be people looking at substitutes for that for different types of hay I already fertilized some Bermuda and some native grass. I paid over a dollar per pound of nitrogen, so I've got $50 an acre in my native grass and just fertilizer, and I've got over $100 in my Bermuda. Yeah. If my Bermuda makes four bale the acre, look how much money I've got sitting there, you know, tied up just in nitrogen in each individual bale. You know, you're way over $20 a bale just in nitrogen. And it seems like no matter what the year is, I have trouble selling hay for more than 40 bucks because nobody wants to pay more than that. There's always, <laughs> there's something else of lower quality out there competing against you. And, you know, there, there are individuals that care about a hay test, and the, but those are harder to find than just your average hay buyer. But if you wanted to talk about that forage component some more, there's some research, I think, from Texas A&M where even in drought years, top dressing with some nitrogen, you're more efficient with what water you're given uh, so if you are under fertilized you're not going to yield as much uh, and you'll get more of a response out of that nitrogen so there's there's kind of more to that story but uh, quality does go a long way and does help recoup some of that cost all right well before we wrap up let's talk some about the wheat tours what do you got for us there the wheat tours have have started uh, this past week and we'll continue throughout the uh, month of May, so be looking out for those. We have quite a few uh, throughout western Oklahoma and a couple in, in eastern Oklahoma as well. So get a hold of your county educator, see which options you have close to you. Uh, we won't get this podcast out in time, but we got Chick Shea coming up. And then May 13th is our kind of our premier event at Lahoma. Uh, so be sure to go out there Friday the 13th at Lahoma. Uh, we'll have quite a few talks there. Uh, get a couple CEUs at some of these tours as well for your ODAF applicator credits. Uh, so if you are still wanting some CEU credits for those, we'll have some sign-in sheets available for those events as well. Uh, but at these filters, we're looking at the crop condition, seeing which varieties handle the stresses better than others. The disease package, uh, like I said, some varieties, we do have a little bit of wheat streak mosaic tolerance. I don't think we have any smoking guns that are fully resistant, but we do have some that tolerate those diseases more than others. Uh, and see what kind of seed wheat you're wanting to maybe change to this fall, especially if seeds are tight. You might be in a situation where you change varieties this fall. So go out to those wheat tours, 
learn as much as you can about these varieties. There's a lot of options. Uh, there's easily over 100 different commercially available lines out there you could choose from. So that there's a lot of data to digest when you're looking at those varieties. But anytime we go out there and see those varieties compared side by side in the area you're growing, you get more of that impact than just looking at those data charts later on. Kind of put more to that story. So uh, whether it's height, seeds per uh, head, heads per foot, uh, tillers per plant, you can see all those differences out in those varieties. Uh, some that are high yielding might be dependent on tillers, which, like I said earlier, tillers have been reduced this spring. So which varieties are going to flex with those fewer heads out there or which ones are going to still yield because of that? stress this year yeah, it will be an interesting observation in the data to look back on if we can remember just how dry this winter yeah. was how those how those plants responded to drought but yeah Oklahoma as of today did get about a quarter inch of rain it looked like so hopefully they'll all be headed by may 13th uh, yeah no promises but well thank you for joining us today that's our update on weed i'm sure we'll come back to it before harvest at some point talking about the crop and Feel free to reach out uh, in the show notes. I have the the web address to our or the email address, excuse me, to our podcast if you want to ask us questions and maybe we can address those in a future episode. With that, thank you for joining us and we will catch you next time.